Hello and welcome to another edition of the Raw Podcast brought to you by the Sun and Lego today. I'm joined by Joe Nicholson and we've got the boss in as Phil Smith is off. So welcome back to the Raw Podcast for Richard Manea. How are you doing, gentlemen? Good. Good, good stuff. Good, good. good stuff. Yeah, I know it's a, a bit of a, a bit of a seat change, isn't it? I'm not feeling the pressure though, so it's um, it's all right. We're going to start, if it's okay with you, Joe, on the transfer picture at the moment. There's a, a lot of reports flying around that Dennis Serkin, the Tottenham left back to Sunderland, is all but done. Apparently, he was in Wearside for a medical yesterday, and various reports flying around today expecting that the deal should be done in due course. Uh, so your reaction to those reports and, and the reaction to the profile of Dennis Sergan, who, who seems to fit Sunderland's uh, required recruitment model at the moment? Yeah, it's certainly a position that Sunderland need to strengthen. The fullback position, we've known that for some time. They probably need, they need at least two, probably even three, depending on Denver Hume situation, which seems to have gone a bit quiet in the last few weeks. We're still not sure what the situation is with him. But even if he is staying at the club, he's going to not be available for a couple of weeks due to this injury. So Sirkin definitely seems like it's it's a deal that Sunderland are closing in on and looks like a promising signing for them. Sounds like it could be a long-term contract for him. He's quite highly rated at Tottenham. I think you, you've got to look at the reaction of, of fans sometimes and they're quite disappointed to, to see that he's leaving, um, which is maybe a bit strange for a 19-year-old who's hardly featured in the first team. So the fact that he's quite highly rated there, Sunderland obviously picking him up is seems like a good bit of business and it's definitely a, a position that that Sunderland need to strengthen. We've seen in the first few weeks of the season, Dan Neal played at left-back against Wigan, Ellis Taylor played there um, against Port Vale in the Cup and they're not long-term solutions for that position. So Sunderland did need a regular or a more natural fit in that position. So it sounds like a Sirkin would be a good deal for them. And, and Rich, what have you made of Sunderland's sort of change in tact in the transfer market this window? Because they, they seem to be identifying a certain type of player in terms of the profile. They seem to be uh, willing to let these deals play out to identify the targets and sort of stick with those targets and 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 let and play the long game in the transfer market, which hasn't always been the case. We also heard a little a little um, bit of information on the Tony Gallagher deal. Apparently that was, um, that collapsed because Liverpool wanted too high a sell-on fee. So there seems to be a real sort of steadfast uh, principle in this transfer market from Sunderland, doesn't there? It does, yeah. There seems to be a lot of cohesion and strategy and structure to it, I would say, more than previous summers, which have been a bit more um, slapdash, or previous windows, I should say, where the, you, know, the, <clears throat> you get the feeling sometimes they're just bringing in players just for the sake of it. Um, fill squad places, etc. But yeah, it seems to be much more of a thought-out process this time around, outside looking in. Um, ultimately, the proof of the pudding will come on August the 31st or September the 1st when you actually look at what Sunderland's squad is then. Um, you know, there's still a fair bit of nervousness, I guess, around the fan base in terms of they're not having strength in key areas enough. Yeah, they've had a good start, two good results in a week or in four days or so. Um but, you know, you can't read too much into that. So I think it's clear everyone knows where they need to strengthen. Certainly full-backs. Um, certainly another striker. Obviously, Bailey Wright could still go to Wigan um, or could still leave. Hopefully, he won't. Um, but if he does, then you're obviously then a defender short as well. So still gaps to fill. Um, but, yeah, there certainly seems to be a bit more structure, uh, structure sorry, and cohesion to the to the uh, transfer window planning this time around. And, and, yeah, you're right. There seems to be a patience within the... 
I'm sure it's pretty fraught, do you know what I mean? At this time of year, obviously, they'll be constantly on the phone and things like that. But, um, but yeah, they're just going to be a bit of patience and willingness to wait a little bit. And I guess, there's, you know, there's loan deals as well that they often don't shake out until the last couple of seasons when squads, <clears throat> clubs higher up the um, tree finalise their squads and stuff and then the kind of fringe players become available and stuff. So hopefully someone will just get in a and all their eggs lined up but um but yeah we should hopefully have a busy end end to the window because it's um fairly steady so far but i think the signings that have made have, have made a big impact so far and john in terms of of squad depth for sunderland as well should circan sign in an ideal world denver hume might sign as well would that solve the midfield sort of cover problem for sunderland with with dan neil moving into at that position to maybe cover for Evans or or Luke or Nine, or do you think Sunderland could could do with maybe signing in that area as well? How how do you see that picture at the moment? Yeah, potentially. I definitely think that Neil's best position is in the centre midfield. I thought he played very well against Port Vale in the cup when he got time on the ball. He played the pass that released Jack Diamond, which then ended in the penalty. Whether it was or wasn't a penalty, it was still a good pass from Dan Neil. And you know, when he's given time on the ball, he does look to to play the ball forward. So I think he's an exciting prospect to be playing in midfield. And I think then if they sign a, a right-sided defender as well, that can also put Winchester back into midfield as well to to give cover for Evans or for an 09 if, um, if they're not available for whatever reason, because it is a long season as well with the cup games, with the Papa John's trophy games. So, yeah, I think if they can bring in, in full-backs, it then also strengthens the midfield options that Lee Johnson has at his disposal. And I think... Um, that is the fallback issue, really, is the, is the one where you feel they really need to strengthen. If they can get that sorted, probably need another centre-back as well, just to provide cover, as Rich mentioned before. Still not sure what the situation is with Bailey Wright. I'd be very surprised if they did let him go, just considering the lack of cover there. And with Callum Doyle coming in, although he looks very promising in pre-season, his first few appearances, he's only 17. So to expect him to be playing in the league games then the cup games week in week out is a big ask for someone who's not done that before um, and Bailey Wright and Tom Flanagan have both had injury uh, problems in the past so yeah probably another centre back and if they can address those full back issues then it, again as you said before it, I think it improves the midfield as well because they can push people like Winchester and Neil further forward into their natural positions Yeah, we're... About the midfield sorry James just no, go for it go for it Nine. Because <clears throat> obviously O'Nine's been freed up from his defensive duties, so the midfield's been boosted there and the return of Elliot Embleton as well. So you could almost class those two as like two new midfield additions, I suppose, in a way. So Sunderland are pretty strong in that area, I think, on the centre of the field, centre of the pitch, yeah. you would say, in terms of options. But yeah, just getting that. You're right, James, I think. Yeah, if you can just get at least one fullback in and Hume signs, then you're looking very solid at the left back then. And then that does then free up one or two players back into their more natural positions. So. I suppose it's the same, and just getting the jig piece of the jigsaw together. But I guess from some fans' point of view, they'll look at like Swoop Switch and Chef Wed, who I know have different kinds of squad issues and stuff. But you know, when you see them signing nine, ten, twelve players, then you naturally cast your eyes enviously that way a little bit, don't you? But um, but yeah, Sunderland have been uh, been patient so far, so hopefully it'll pay off. I think I think I'm being greedy by mentioning the midfield because I, I sort of see all nine as an eight, Evans as a six. Um, Embleton as, as a 10 slash 8 and, and maybe Dan Neal as an 8 as well so my, my worry I suppose would be because Evans has, has looked so good at anchoring that midfield um, is to, if he was to pick up an injury or a suspension who would come in but I suppose O'Nan could drop into that role and Neil could come in and yeah, there's, 
Winchester, of course, yeah. If if we sign a if we sign a right back, of course. Um, but there's there's those sort of sort of little questions that still remain. Uh, but Sunderland are two and two from the new season. We're recording this on Wednesday, the 11th of August. So Sunderland defeated Port Vale in the Carabao Cup last night. But we're going to talk about the opening day fixture in League One, uh, a two-one win win against Wigan Athletic at the Stadium of Light. And me and Joe were there. Joe, uh, Sullen showed good character. They came back from a, a gut check in the fifteen minutes, a fifteenth minute, um, and played quite well after that. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a promising performance from Sunderland. I thought the team gelled quite well. I thought they they got the better of Wigan. They they dominated possession for most of the game and looked like there were some good partnerships forming there. As I mentioned before, I thought I thought Doyle had a good game at the back. Um, we looked a little bit shaky on that left side at the start with. Um, with Dan Neal there, and clearly Wigan were trying to, to target that side, and that's how the goal came about. But I thought those two grew into the game very quickly, um, Neil and Doyle, and it was actually Neil just a minute, a few minutes after he was caught out for the goal, kind of won the ball back to then set up the the equaliser or, or the penalty, which then McGeevy converted. So um, yeah, I think there were some some promising signs. I, I like the look of the uh, Ross Stewart playing up front with the three kind of behind him in Embleton. Gooch and McGee, I thought there was some, some real quality there. And then you had Evans sitting in front of the back four, which allowed those those forward players to kind of go forward and express themselves a bit more. Uh, Gooch, I thought, was was man of the match. Very unlucky not to score when his shot came back off the bar. So, yeah, some really promising signs there. I think it was important that they got back on level terms very quickly. The fans got behind them, made a difference. And I think, that yeah, really promising start. And Rich Sutherland winning the first game of the season doesn't happen too often, really. There was the, the Charlton game um, three seasons ago. There was, I think, the Bolton game um, under Steve Bruce. And then, of course, there was a, the Tottenham game at the Stadium of Light, which I think was on this day in 2007. So uh, a really good result for Sutherland because you get the feeling that if, if that result had gone against Sutherland, that the storm clouds would have, would have grown a little bit there. Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, it's 31,000 there. Great to see all the fans back in. Um, and I think Lee Johnson said himself, Disney, I, I won't say because we're a family newspaper. But um, <laughs> yeah, his reaction when Wigan scored first, you know, that would have been the nightmare start. But we felt someone to bounce back quickly. And I wasn't at the game, but, you know, all the reports seemed very positive. Um, also, a lot of strong individual performances as well, which is always encouraging. Um, you know, Great, they're supposed to get one over Wyke and Power and Jordan Jones after they all moved to Wigan. But, um, but yeah, important to start well, get a bit of momentum on Tuesday, and then you know, potentially tricky tie away at MK Dons. Um, but yeah, no, it was good to get a win, and um, the manner of it, I think, the fact that the bounce back from going behind so quickly was good, and good for McGeady as well to show his impact. And obviously, someone we've not spoke about just yet, but uh, Ross Stewart as well, I think, could be. Big player this season, and you know, obviously they were saying when White left, Johnson said, I think you know they were forward, forward planning way back in January in terms of bringing Ross Stewart in because there's always potential that White might leave or move on. You know whether that, that kind of thing is said because they've just lost a 31 goal striker, I don't know, but Stewart is certainly showing himself to be a, a very solid, a very solid striker at this level, and uh, I think his all round game has been impressive as well, hasn't it? Not just his goals tally. Yeah, and a word on Stuart, Joe, because I think we were both at the stadium like, impressed with the way Stuart sort of ran the channels a bit more. He's a lot more mobile than Wyke. I think he can. He might not score 31 goals across the season or 25 goals in League One this season, but I think it's more 
what he might be able to do for his teammates in terms of his hold-up play, in terms of his link-up play, bringing others into play. He can clearly finish as well, but he, he seems to have an extra aspect or extra few aspects to his game compared to Charlie Wag, who, it must be said, did very well for Sunderland. Yeah, no, I agree with what you're saying. I think Stewart definitely offers you know those runs into the channels and maybe can then bring other players into play. I think he's very good in the air as well. I think he's got a very good leap on him as well. As we, we saw with the goal from the corner with the header, there was a few others when um, the ball was kind of just teed up to him in the box and he, he you know, was really towering above the uh, the defenders. He, you know, he's a, he's a tall guy and he's, he's, he's good in the air. So, yeah, I think he brings a lot to the side. Um, the one concern I would have with him is the hamstring injury he suffered last season, whether that's a reoccurrence. It's a, it's a long season with all the games that we've got and I think Sunderland do need some kind of backup there. I know they've got Will Grigg, but just doesn't really seem to fit the system. Came on against Port Vale. Um, in the cup and was kind of an isolated figure up front. The game didn't really suit him. So whether they whether he still has a part to play, O'Brien started the game up front against Port Vale. So Stewart can't do everything on his own, and Sunderland I think are going to have need to have other options there. But as a first choice striker, I think yes, yeah, Stewart looks really promising in that role and with the players behind him, the kind of creative players he likes of McGeady's, Yaguch, Embleton. I think there's uh, some really good partnerships forming forming there for Sunderland. Yeah, it's suddenly, it's suddenly looking like smart recruitment, the Ross Stewart signing, because he's only 24, potential resale value, and he's he's coming in to replace a, a highly rated striker as well in Charlie White, or somebody who certainly did well for Sunderland last season. Uh, Rich, a slight caveat to the Wigan game was that Wigan, certainly at the finished article, yet they've they've had a lot of uh, turmoil over the past couple of seasons. They've had to rebuild. Um, I think Liam Richardson mentioned in the press conference that he fielded six debutants that have signed a lot of players. So although Sunderland can only beat what's put in front of them, there, there is a slight caveat on the, on the Wigan game in, in terms of their preparation for the new season. Yeah, for sure. I'd, I'd always be very wary about, you know, to put too much on the first weeks of the season as well, because obviously things can change and, and all those things. But yeah, generally speaking, I think it is, it, certainly for Sunderland, certainly with the fans being back in, um, you know, thirty thousand plus. It was really important to get off to a good start, and also to be, to be honest, for Lee Johnson as well, because you know if he doesn't get off to a good start between in the first few months of the season, then obviously you know that pressure is naturally going to be there. That's that's just the case of Sunderland. Do you know what I mean? And, and many top clubs, Sunderland need to get out of League One. This is now the fourth season in this division, so they've obviously been through a bit of a cycle. A lot of the players that have been there for two, three years left in the summer. This is a chance to to rebuild. It's not been the Sort of huge rebuild that some people might have thought it would be in terms of numbers of players coming in, but equally you've got a lot of young good players as well that he's helped bring on Lee Johnson and develop. And you can see how well drilled and well um, organised they are. I think from pre-season, some of them look generally pretty fit as well, and all those things which you would expect, but doesn't always happen. Um, so yeah, it was important for Lee Johnson, important for Sunderland, and just hopefully they can build on that and really get some momentum because that is massive at this level. But um, Hopefully, someone need to get out of League One because this is now the fourth season in this tier. So, we're sick of writing about League One, aren't we? Yes, we, do. we definitely are. And Joe, Rich mentioned the fans there. Obviously, they were back in for the Lincoln playoff semi-final second leg and, and that was brilliant. But on Saturday, it, it seemed to feel like a, a different level, didn't it? 31,000 or over 31,000 in the ground. You know, there was the build-up, the um, people going for pints and pre-match rituals revived and, and whatnot. But the pantomime around the game was brilliant. 
you know, you had the the pre-match warm-ups with Max Power and Charlie White doing the shooting drills and getting stick from the Roker end. <laughs> Jordan Jones coming on and, and getting a bit of stick from the Sunderland fans. You know, the 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 roar of the crowd. It, it was just brilliant to see it all back, wasn't it? Yeah, I wrote about this afterwards. I, it actually felt like a match day again. You have had so many. You know, we've had over a year now of playing games behind closed doors, and you go to the ground and there was no one there. It was just a cold, empty atmosphere. But going to the game on Saturday, seeing a, you know, red and white shirts walking to the stadium, that buzz, that sense of occasion before the game, actually felt like a match day again. There was a real sense of importance behind it. And the intensity of the game for the first 15, 20 minutes, it was really frantic. And I think the fans contributed to that and they really reacted to the action that was going on on the pitch. Um, yeah, yeah, it was really good to see. And you know, there was some... Some I think the Wigan fans played their part as well. They travelled in in good numbers. Um, they were trying to kind of claim Charlie Wyke in the first few minutes, and then Sunderland fans hit back with you know some, some chance in the second half about him and Ross Stewart. So yeah, it was it was just just great to see fans back in the stadium and have that buzz back at the game again because um, we really missed that the last over a year. As I said said on I think the podcast last week, it was, it was pretty awful last season going to games with no fans, and you really did see how much the game misses the fans. So, yeah, great to see them back for 31,000 on, on Saturday. For sure. And obviously, the, there wasn't much rest for Sunderland, who travelled down to Stoke-on-Trent to play, to face Port Vale in the Carabao Cup yesterday. Joe, you travelled down a much-changed Sunderland side, uh, one came out 2-1 winners again um, in a game that was sort of full of incident, wasn't it? Yeah, quite a lively game in the end. Um, I think Sunderland made a bit more of a meal of it than they had to. Um the floodlights went off as well towards the end, which made it a bit more dramatic, or one of the floodlights did. So that was just after Port Vale had scored, actually. So um, kind of halted their momentum a little bit. But when the game restarted with about 20 minutes to go, it was all Port Vale. But, but Sunderland played well in patches. I think Lee Johnson said that they weren't quite able to implement their game as they wanted to, maybe as they did against Wigan. Um, said the pitch was a bit sticky as well, maybe didn't allow them to kind of move the ball through midfield as well. And the changes as well obviously didn't didn't help, maybe disrupt, disrupted that a little bit. But I thought there were some good individual performances. I thought Dan Neal, as I said before, did well in midfield. Josh Hawks got his goal, I think looked looked promising on the on the day. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was, it was live at the end. Uh, Port Bell put in some pressure on uh, Anthony Patterson in the Sunderland goal, made a good save. Uh, but they managed to hang on, get the, get the win, go through. Um, so, yeah, two wins out of two. So, results-wise, it's a perfect start. A goal for, for Josh Hawks as well. Rich, I don't think I'm revealing any state secrets on this podcast that you are a Pools fan. Uh, what, what did you what did you make of, of his sort of rise at Pools as transfer to Sunderland? It's it's nice to see him kick on a little bit and, and, and challenge this season after an impressive season in the under-23s for Sunderland. Yeah, it's not often you see Sunderland and Newcastle and Borough really um, signing players from Pools. It's often the other way around. Um, young lads going there on loan. Josh Hawks is a big, big, big talent. He was always well thought of at Hartlepool. Um, one of the things with him when he was coming through was kind of more the, um, not so much fitness, but maybe like stamina match, stamina. Like he'd often, you know, kind of peak at about an hour mark. But um, it looks like he's worked on his his physicality a little bit. And I think he, he played the full full game, didn't he, Joey? We were talking about that last night, earlier today. Um, and he certainly got the natural ability, natural quality. Um, a real, yeah, real big talent. So, yeah, we were delighted. I say we, speaking for the whole of Hartlepool, we were delighted to see him do well at Sunderland 23s last season. And, you know, it's obviously 
symptomatic of where Sunderland are. That you know they're they're in League One at the minute, so players like Josh Hawks will get more of a chance than if they were obviously in the Premier League days when he certainly wouldn't have had a sniff then. But um, so yeah, good to see big big talent. Um, as I say, if he can um, keep on the track that he's going, then he could be a bit of a could be a bit of a surprise package for some of the season, and hopefully gets a couple of chances off the bench. I'd imagine. Um, obviously, there's a lot of competition for places in that kind of midfield central area, so that'll be one thing. Um, I don't know if there might be considering a loan move for him potentially at some point, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was in and around it this season in terms of the match day squads at least. But uh, yeah, good luck to him. He's a big talent. And Joe, Alex Pritchard making his, his debut for Sunderland, uh, competitive debut since signing uh, this summer. Another player like Josh Hawkes, whose fitness has been questioned at times, he ended up playing the full 90 minutes in what was a, a good performance by him, wasn't it? Yeah, I think one thing was clear is he possesses quality when he drops deep and gets time on the ball. Um, there was one ball he played when the game was still goalless to Jack Diamond, which should have gone in really. Um, and then he played the pass for Hawks for the goal. And um, he kind of it was quite slow to get into the game. Port Vale were playing with, with three centre-backs. So it was Pritchard playing in the number 10 um, behind O'Brien for Sunderland. So they were having to drop quite deep to kind of get the ball because there wasn't really a lot of space um, in behind the, the uh, Port Vale defence. So, uh, But when he did drop deep and get on the ball, you could see his quality. He could, he could pick out players in front of him when he did uh, get the ball in that time in possession. So, um, yeah, he, he possesses those moments. And I think sometimes games come down to those moments, especially like scrappy games like they were the other night when, when teams, you know, can be physical and it's difficult to break teams down when you've got someone like Alex Pritchard who maybe could be quiet for 10, 15, 20 minutes, but then get the ball and, and create something. You know, those are the players that, you know, you need some of those players in, in your side, especially Sunderland, when sometimes teams will sit deep. I'm not saying that Port Vale did that the other night. Um, it was quite an open end-to-end game, but a lot of the times in League One, we've seen teams sit deep and be very difficult to break down. I think Alex Pritchard is someone who can can get the ball and provide that quality to to open, to break the deadlock. And, yeah, I think um, if he can build up his fitness in the next few weeks, I think that's that'll be the plan. And it'll be interesting to see who where he plays because he played in number 10 position against Port Vale where Elliot Embleton played against Wigan so whether that means that Elliot Embleton moves out to the wing somewhere or whether you can fit them both in the, in the team it'll be interesting but as I said before it's a long season there's a lot of games and there'll be certainly opportunities for both of them to play for sure. And, and Joe, we mentioned Anthony Patterson earlier and Josh Hawkes, but two players also who started for Sunderland who were sort of in and around that under-23 group last season were Ellis Taylor and Oliver Younger starting at left and right back respectively. What did you make of their performances? Both picked up yellow cards, but I suppose both of them will be hoping to have an impact for Sunderland's first team this season, whether it be in the cup competition or in the league if there's an injury. What did you make of them? Um, I thought it was tough. I thought it was tough for both of them, really. Port Vale played with wing back three and wing backs and they were finding a bit of success on the flanks especially on their left in the first half up against Oliver Younger I thought Taylor showed composure on the ball in the first half linked up with Hawks a couple of times but definitely you, you saw that Port Vale were looking to get the ball into the flanks where their wing backs could kind of get the ball and put crosses into the box and and that was tricky for, for Taylor and Younger but both of them I think it's not their natural position I think Taylor ideally would be playing a bit further forward Younger maybe playing more in the centre so um, I think they can learn a lot from from the game coming up against proper teams rather you know men's teams rather than 23 players and Josh Hawks was actually saying this after the game it was 
beneficial to come up against a League Two side with experienced pros in the team rather than playing games with the under-23. So I think some of the younger players that played against Port Vale on Tuesday can learn a lot from that experience. And hopefully there'll be more opportunities for them in the Papa John's Trophy, maybe in the next round of the Carabao Cup. So, um, yeah, it may be a difficult night for them, but I think they can, uh, can learn a lot from it. It wasn't a vote of confidence that Will Grigg was started on the bench for this game and, and, and didn't get brought on till, till later on. He, he just really doesn't seem to be fancy. Joe mentioned it earlier, but probably doesn't fit into this system. How do you see his future? Do you think he'll manage to get that loan move or you know, will he be at Sunderland for, for the rest of his contract? Yeah, interesting. Will Grigg, yeah. No doubt it'll go down to deadline day uh, and we'll have some more deadline day drama with it. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be at all surprised if, uh, if he did get his loan move. Um where two would be interesting because obviously Wigan, Wigan and MK Dons are seemingly both off the cards, so it'd have to probably be somebody else. Whether it would be in League One or not, I don't know. Um, so he's really got that in his favour too much, but um, yeah, it's just really not worked out as too much. And um, Stewart's obviously going to be the main man this season, but but if he does, I mean, they need a striker anyway. I think at the minute, so if Grig were to depart, then you're then looking at two strikers. So um, gut feeling is that yeah, he probably will leave on loan. Um, where two at the minute, no idea. Suspect it'll go down to the final few days because I think they've been a bit, a little bit coy, um, something in terms of kind of potential outgoings as well. I still think there's a could be a bit of movement on that front. I think there's a couple of players that they would probably accept deals for. Um, Greg certainly would fit into that camp, I think. So, uh, yeah, it'd be an interesting couple of weeks, but yeah, I think I think it will go. And Joe, looking ahead to the MK Dons game on Saturday, what are you expecting from that? And, and MK Dons, obviously, the they had their manager, Russell Martin, poached by Swansea. and They had a, an opening day ding-dong 3-3 Jordan. Yeah, yeah, with Bolton. Um, I think it'd be yeah, interesting one. I think they were one of the favourites at the start of the season before Russell Martin left. Played some very good football last season and were expected to be up there as one of the, the favourites to be in the playoff mix. But I think Russell Martin leaving, obviously, is a big blow for them. But they've still made some decent players. I think Mo Iser, the strikers... Um, on there, hasn't he? And he scored on the opening day, so I think it could be an entertaining one, judging by their three-all draw with Bolton on the on the opening day. Definitely look like they can go forward, try and score a lot of goals, but maybe leaky at the back. So, um, yeah, I think I'm looking forward to the game. It's just nice to be off to a winning start, and it? it's nice to have a bit of positivity around the club. It's great to have fans back in. You know, the scenes were brilliant at the weekend, and I think we've seen from last season. You know, some of the fans have a huge part to play in this. This season being a successful one for Sunderland as well, so um, and it's an interesting because a lot of the players wouldn't have played in front of that level of fans at the stadium. Like you know, his first game I think Lee Johnson, by the Lincoln game, which was what ten thousand fans there, I think for the playoffs, wasn't it? Yeah, so, first proper atmosphere that Lee Johnson's had as Sunderland manager as well. So um, there's something really special there to um, galvanise and help push them hopefully towards some kind of success this season because. As we said at the very beginning, they just need to get out of League One. However they do it, they just need to get out of it. <laughs> but it's a very, very competitive league. Again, probably more competitive than last year. There's a lot of a lot of big clubs, a lot of clubs who've done a lot of what looks like good business. Um, although I have been impressed by the deal Sunderland have done so far and hopefully they'll do over the next couple of weeks. And as I said, there's a lot of young talent as well at Sunderland and hopefully we'll get the, the chance and the space to, um, to show what they can do. And it's a big season for Elliot Embleton as well. Hopefully he isn't one of the players who someone might, you know, allow to go in the next couple of weeks because they might get a bit of money for him. Hopefully he will stay and they will help sort of partially build the team around him. 
Yeah, and if you want to read all about the Wigan and Port Vale games, you can head over to the Sutherland Echo website. Please consider taking out a subscription. You'll get all the latest transfer news, match reports ahead of the MK Dons clash on Saturday. That brings an end to another Raw podcast. Thank you to Richard and Joe for joining me, and thanks to the listener for listening.